Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome back to Why This Film, the podcast where we pick a movie from your childhood, rewatch it and have a chat about it. I'm Emily Slade and welcome back. Watched it so many times before and now you're gonna watch it again. But it's been so many years since you last saw it And now you show it to your friends And they're like, what? What am I watching? Why? Th- what? Is what? Why? Why, Why this, this film? And I'm joined again today by Flo. Hello, Flo. Hello. Lovely to have you back. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. I think you've almost been in every season now. <laughs> so that's fun. That's what I'm going for. Yeah, just trying to aim get for a like, co-host credit. Ah, <laughs> well, now I know. You're going to have to try a lot harder. <laughs> um, and her chosen movie is 1999's Mystery Men. The IMDb breakdown. A group of inept amateur superheroes must try to save the day when a supervillain threatens to destroy a major superhero and the city. That's fairly... That is perfectly accurate. I mean, it is perfectly accurate. It very much misses out... It. I mean, it's a very generic... Doesn't mention the fart jokes. <laughs> does not mention the fart jokes. Doesn't mention... Because it's a strange vibe. So Mystery Men, I did a bit of research. It's loosely based... On Bob Bourbon, Burden, sorry, Bob Burden's Flaming Carrot comics, which is about a man who wears a carrot mask and fights crime in a comic book where it parodies sort of superhero tropes, as it were. And it was, um, I believe, one of, it was in the 70s that it was doing this. And you can understand where the sort of humour from Mystery Men comes from. The main link is Dr. Heller. He appears in the comic book and oh. in the movie. He makes the sort of gadgets for the carrot person um and it's literally this is the wikipedia entry and i think this is where they got the main comedic tone because um unlike batman his fighting utility belt is filled with silly putty rubber bands random playing cards sneezing powder and other similarly frivolous items which nonetheless can become lethal weapons in his hands Dr. Heller upgraded Flaming Carrot's equipment after bringing him back from the clinically dead. The Flaming Carrot also relies heavily on his 9mm Raiden pistol to kill his enemies without hesitation. (laughs) (laughs) So the silly buddy helps sometimes too. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um... So I feel like that's where they got the the sort of vibe from. The IMDb trivia does state that there was a lot of, um... Not arguments, but back and forth as to the comedic tone of this movie, and you can kind of feel it. I think well. you can tell. There's a lot. There's like a lot of different comedic beats, and mm. I think if you're presented with all of them at once, you're kind of like, wait, this is from the same movie. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a really funny movie. Let's talk about your relationship with it. So. I actually don't even know. It's just been in my life since I can remember. We you, and it came out of the womb with you. Yeah, pretty like... much. I was born aside a copy of Mystery Men on VHS. Uh, me and my brother used to watch it all the time. Mm-hmm. We quoted it all the time. Um, I used to play a game in my 
primary school playground nice. where I was the blue Raja Amazing. and I'd like pretend to throw forks and that was like <laughs> I loved playing him uh-huh. I would insist that all my friends watch it so like everyone <laughs> knew it. Yeah. it yeah I just loved it and actually it was lovely re-watching it and I still love it oh brilliant so it had, like nothing's changed your mind you know, even, like, I was a, I was a fairly sophisticated child, <laughs> and even then I was like, oh, I don't like that joke, like, yeah, that's y- fair. you focused on a fart too much, or yeah. there's a few ones where I just don't think it's funny. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but, uh, it's, but still, overall, I just think it's brilliant. Yeah, I agree <laughs> to a point. I, it, it suffers from being made in 1999, so I'm going to try and not focus too heavily on that because it, as as much as you can't be like, oh well, it doesn't excuse it because like, oh, we should have known better. We didn't, and movies we were just we didn't. Like this. Yeah, and um, it's unfortunate. Yeah, it's not a very feminist movie. <laughs> not a very feminist movie at all. Um, and I will go into the moments that I found offensive for whatever reasons, but and uh, I'm just going to disregard them all yeah. because I like the movie. <laughs> It's kind of fair enough because, like, whilst it is frustrating to watch this stuff happen, it's not what the movie's about, and you have you do have to focus on that. I think uh, we were saying as we sat down to watch it, I'm shocked that this concept hasn't really been explored, to my knowledge, in film before 1999. That sort of inept superhero, like, to such a point. I don't know. I can't think of any examples although it seems quite obvious yeah that's that's what I'm struggling with I'm like I must be missing something really obvious because obviously Watchmen sort of deals with the uh, other side of superhero the commercial side of it I yeah. suppose um, one thing I suppose it's a little bit MacGyvery if you're talking about how they're using everyday objects right. I mean none of them are as smart as MacGyver <laughs> but it's just you know you were saying with flaming carrot yeah, or whatever his name that is. That is his name. He's yeah, that was great. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> he's using uh, elastic bands. Yeah. And this we have like forks become a deadly weapon and mm. things like that. But then also, one of them has an actual magical power. This is the thing. It's and I I don't mind at all. But it is it is strange going back to that sort of tonally all over the place. And and you and I are big fans of things that are tonally all over the place. Case in point, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, many other examples as well um, that you're just like I forgive it because ultimately what it's trying to give me I appreciate and therefore everyone else can fuck off Um, and this definitely suffers from being Tony all over the place Um, yeah it like what was my point (laughs) what were we talking about (laughs) we're talking about something the tone Um, because it it does it goes from like Oh, that was it. Um, how the, the different superhero powers. So you've got some people like um, William H Macy plays the shoveler, and he uses a spade to a shovel hit people with. And Hank Azaria is the blue Raja, who uses cutlery and throws it at people. Then you've got Ben Stiller playing Mister Furious, who does nothing. Who claims to have a superpower that he. Uh, becomes like full of rage and can't control yeah. himself, like the Hulk. Yeah, I would say Hulk, Hulk-like. But obviously, throughout the most of the movie, no, no, he he's, <laughs> he's just playing at being a superhero, yeah. which is adorable. And we'll move on to Ben Stiller's character in more depth because I really want to talk about him. But um, 
So you've got these three people that are using everyday items and then Ben Stiller arguably doesn't have a superpower. You then have, spoiler alert, the invisible boy who, as a payoff joke, one-off joke and a helpful plot point, is actually invisible in a yeah. sort of Matilda way. He says he's he can only become invisible when absolutely no one, including himself, is looking at him. Yeah. And you go, ha 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 ha, and then it's integral and very useful <laughs> that that actually happens and um that's it, it's brilliant it's funny and it's it's convenient and it's great but it is it does beg the question oh he genuinely has superpowers power. actually exist and, and um, so do um like gypsy curses yeah yeah because the uh, another character played by Wee herman is what's his name spleen the the spleen the spleen whose um superpower is to like fart i guess yeah he <laughs> uh he blamed an old woman on oh, um, yes yes a, a fart and uh that he had actually done and she decreed that because he was the one who smelt it he would forevermore be the one who dealt it which is disgusting and i mean disgusting disgusting as it is um he genuinely has a superpower that's very helpful yeah he can knock people flat out literally so it's incredibly useful and then you've got the bowler who's the 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 ironic only woman on the team who again her dad's skull is in a bowling ball which that's a magical bowling ball it's literally a magical like afterlife bowling ball that can like float by itself and has its own consciousness and she talks to it as well so there's a real mixture of like and yet the main superhero of the town captain amazing just seems to be this sort of batman type he's got lots of gadgets yeah and And he is very strong somehow and he's got a lot of sponsorship (laughs) yeah which is fascinating because the the sort of movie gets kicked off by uh him essentially allowing the release of one of his old nemeses in order to be able to get back in the newspapers again and to become relevant again because Pepsi have just dropped him and it was a really interesting sort of thing that they didn't go much into but it was fun to sort of have as an idea and I think if they did try to go too much into it it wouldn't have worked because there's only so far you can go with it Mm -hmm. but as you were saying you believe the new HBO Watchmen is sort of looking into that at the moment there's some moments in yeah the new Watchmen where Mm -hmm. it just touches more upon the like heroism as a career because you can make a lot of money Mm. from it yeah um which is interesting but obviously we're we're mainly well, I, this is the thing as well. We're primarily focusing on the original trio, which is William H. Macy, Ben Stiller, and Hank Azaria. And then we, they're sort of semi-joined by uh, Paul Rubens and uh, the Invisible Boy. And then obviously the woman is also there. And the woman's definitely got her own narrative going on, aside from anything else that's happening in the movie. And the other two characters are given what feel like very last minute shoehorned in scenes to flesh out, and I do that in like bunny ears, to flesh out their characters and to justify them being in the movie that make no real difference to anything. So for example, the scene with the skunk and the scene where they're like, oh, I'm afraid, I'm really scared, I'm really scared, I'm really scared, okay, let's go and do it. Yeah. 
I don't know, how do you, like, maybe I think they it. both really eagerly wanted to be heroes, <laughs> and their whole uh, arc is about them being accepted. Like, they were both the ones who were immediately rejected by the original trio, mm -hmm. and by the end they've earned their place on the team, mm -hmm. um, and proven their abilities. And so... I don't think they really need much more than that. Like, that was yeah. their journey. No, that's fair. And it's kind of nice that they're then paired together a lot because they're taking that journey together and clearly that's, making yeah. quite a strong friendship. That's a good point. It's fucking beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> um, the comedic tone, as we have mentioned, is really bizarre. It goes from being so incredibly laugh-out-loud funny to real cringe sort of oh my god, stop, all of you, stop right now. And then everything is sort of in between. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get it out of the way. The, the use of women in this movie is trash. Um, <laughs> and it's because it's a movie about three male superheroes made in 1999. Versus a male supervillain yeah. who's caught a male superhero. Yeah. Um, the, the women we have, it does not pass the Bechdel test. The women are the bowler, who is very unfeminine, um, which is why she's almost allowed to be a hero, I would argue. I like her a lot, and oh, I found her quite inspiring as a like sort of female leader figure <clears throat> um, as a kid. But it's true that like she doesn't get that much to do. I mean, her story is built around what her dad wants her to do. Yeah, but it is kind of, you know, it's, it's, so sweet. it's a valid female story about her sort yeah. of. Um, helping her father with something in a bid to move out from like under his control. Mm. Um, yeah, I I don't want, I'm not slagging off the bowler too much because it, it, she's a brilliant character and she's played brilliantly and she's funny and she's like very it's, funny. It's very good and she's got that more sort of Avril Lavigne look as opposed to the Paris Hilton vibe and yeah. it's great. It's just then that you you kind of run out of like other really meaningful women characters yeah you've got uh the waitress who's a love interest now i know i mean god you were rolling your eyes so loudly for the entire movie <laughs> it's a 90s movie sucked because she they did that classic thing where she's like so disinterested at the beginning she's a vehicle for ben stiller to learn lessons and yeah. she rewards him with herself for yeah them. when he becomes honest she gives him a smile mm -hmm. or lets him walk her home or kisses him and like agrees to be with him and then like is it, it's that classic what what i don't like is the lack of consistency within these characters like how at the beginning of robin hood prince of thieves made marion is in a suit of armor fighting robin hood and e e like winning until she her arm is burned by fire by the end she's being held down by down by alan rickman going robin help me oh my god and it's like two different com two completely different characters and it was the same with this woman there was a woman that had a personality and then there was um, ben Stiller's prize for learning a lesson. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. Okay. I think her character's fairly consistent. There's not much to it, but I don't. I think what you read as like complete disinterest was really just like, all right, you weird man who's like being shitty with me. Like she's just uninterested. It's not about like, and I don't mean uninterested in like dating him or mm -hmm. anything like that. I just mean like she's just doing her job and therefore isn't focusing on him. And mm -hmm. then when they actually have, he attempts to have a more meaningful conversation with her, that's when she pays slightly more attention. Mm -hmm. And it's when she sees his capability of not bullshitting and just actually speaking truthfully about who he is mm -hmm. that she thinks she likes him more. Okay, that's fair enough, yeah. I think I was probably seeing it with a very 
one-sided filter. I mean, I'm not going to lie, it's following a really obvious route, and she doesn't get anything to do that doesn't fall within the, like, classic damsel in distress in a superhero story. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, she's not a great portrayal, but I wouldn't say that she literally, like, flips a switch. Fair, fair. Um, and then the only other women you have really are, you've got lots of different supervillain groups that hang out with the main supervillain, and one of them is a bunch of women that sort of wear... The Fourier's. Yeah, so I don't know what... So they... Fashion. Yeah, they wear fur, yeah. um, and they oh. fight by, like, swinging, like, poofy handbags and stuff. Yeah, which I, is fine. Honestly, it made me <laughs> laugh. Like, I don't think... I would complain about the portrayal of women in that specific group mm-hmm. because every single group, like, so to oh, explain, they yeah. have um, Casanova Frankenstein, who's the supervillain, has a, he invites all these different evil gangs to his lair to just hang out and have a disco party. And so he's got like a bunch of evil frat boys who yeah. always go, oi, 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 biscuits. And he's got the ferriers who are like uh, fashion, always dressed to kill mm-hmm. women. And then you've got um, the, is it the not so goody gang, which is like portrayed by the actual rap group, the goody gang. Right, right. Um, and then you've got a bunch like of like the evil mafia. businessmen <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> smoking cigars yeah in pinstripe suits so they're all very stereotypical so to be honest there's and the weapons that they use against them i was thinking through it in my head and i was like you can't win regardless but they did of course choose to put the shrinking machine on the women so we got to watch their clothes shrink on them and then we got to have a fun erection joke. And ben Stiller says, I think my pants are getting tighter too. I still kind of laughed, but... Uh, <laughs> and acknowledgement. And then I heard the frosty chill of your stare. <laughs> it's fine. Because then they throw the like argument one at the rap group and they all start like yelling at each other. And I was like, to be honest, if they put the shrinking one on anyone else, I'd have been like... Well, actually, no, if they'd thrown the argument one on the women instead, I would have been like, oh, I get it, because women, women argue all the time. Oh, that's it. During the tryouts as well, we get to, to out of out of the, like, nine different people in that queue, three of them are women, um, two of them are both dressed as Wonder Woman, and they get to have a cat fight, which, again, is just mainly so we can laugh at the main men going, oh, look, women fighting. That's potential. Um, and then there's like Lady Period who's P- like PMS woman who only it. works four days a week yeah and is that okay and they're all like yes yes fine because you know women funny am I right scary periods I'll, 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 super <laughs> I'll put it to bed I just think I think if they were to ever re uh um, visit this concept I would really like and I know we are with the sort of Black Widow movie coming and we've had obviously had Captain Marvel which I haven't seen so I don't know how many actual women are in that movie but obviously she's the protagonist and we've got a Wonder Woman movie again not full of women once we get away from her hometown but like it's fine I would like to see a superhero group that doesn't ironically only give the one woman because you know how like superheroes tend to only have like a one woman like stop no like let's just and I don't know if Watchmen has lots of women in it no not really cool (laughs) oh well I mean if we're talking about the current TV show then the main character is a woman um, and it has a number of good female characters oh excellent that's I haven't counted. Can really ask for, but I thought you meant the book. Oh no! Like, the, oh the, no! <laughs> the book is definitely very much. But doing again, that. 
I agree with you. It's like, because the book is doing that as a pastiche as a point. Yeah. But uh, I think Mystery Men is doing the same thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. But, yeah. but everything is pastiching the fact that there's only one woman. Mm-hmm. So there's just more and more things with only only one, one woman. And that's the thing. I'm like, it's 2020. Let's flip it on its head now. Let's like put that sort of thing to bed. You know what did that great? Ghostbusters. It did. Ghostbusters was 2016. Not a bad movie. A really good movie. Controversial statement. Yeah. That's it. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to say that Mystery Men is good here, so I, I, <laughs> I'm probably being more controversial. It is very poorly reviewed. Mystery Men? Yeah. Um, it doesn't surprise me. I imagine they were, people were confused. Is this for children? Is this for adults? Like, we go from, like, a skunk humping Pee Wee Herman's leg to Greg Kinnear getting melted in a horrific way and becoming like a very frightening sort of puppety waxwork corpse, um, which is responded to in a very sort of oh kind of way. And so you don't really know how to feel like... Uh, I quite, one of my favourite bits of Mystery Men is the darker humour. Mm. And I can see, we've said, it was a mishmash of different types of humour... They've all appealed to me at different times, um, and at the moment, that really like dark humour of like, oh gosh, <laughs> we just melted that man's face clean off, didn't we? It's it's just very funny, mm-hmm. and that sort of everyone just passing the blame onto each other. Yeah, yeah, that very sort of like terrified adult thing. I mean, I have to say, they then go on to um, uh, root to round up together to go and then fight uh, Jeffrey Rush. And William H. Macy gives this, like, really incredibly, like, dignified speech. And I have to say, throughout the movie, the main three give excellent performances with what they're doing. They are killing it. It wouldn't be anywhere near as good a movie as it is without Without the the cast that they have. Uh, William H. Macy genuinely remains dignified and serious without being sort of boring. Um, he has a real, like, grounding to him, and it really works, especially against Ben Stiller's sort of childish anger. I love his, like, sad, solemn look that he gives whenever Roy, who is Ben Stiller, is getting, like, very childish or trying to pretend like his power is coming in so he doesn't have to have a serious conversation. Mm -hmm. And he just... He look, like he's kind of mournful, and he's he like very he much knows like the father of three that he is. Yeah, just being like, oh Roy. He's very fatherly, and I think he sees like you know Roy's arrested development, mm. and it just kind of feels bad for his friend and wishes he could do better. And it's, it's beautiful. It's really a beautiful friendship. Ben Stiller should be my least favorite character in this movie because he's a man child who. Uh, has to learn stupid lessons like be yourself. He's ridiculous and makes stupid decisions. He has no powers and it's very frustrating to watch in a battle scene throughout the movie. But Ben Stiller is so... And I've never really thought about it before, but Ben Stiller, if you're listening, (laughs) you're fucking great, man. Like, you are so endearing to watch and you are so all-encompassing with the choices that you make and... Like I should hate this character, but I don't. He's so likable, though. Ben Stiller, yeah, plays yeah. very likably. Like delivers all his lines very funnily. It's so funny. There's a lot of lines he has in particular where I'm like, that would get a big chuckle out of me mm-hmm. if he hadn't said it so perfectly yeah. that I was like howling. Um, he is, 
yeah, actually, the Blue Raja used to be my favourite character as a child, but I think Roy's edging in there now. He is more the main, but it's it's just the... I really feel for him. Yeah. It's so... It's. I was going to literally ask you that exact question, because I'm watching Hank Azaria, who obviously is funny because he's Hank Azaria, and... Um, Everything he does is sweet. His relationship with his mother is lovely, but a bit strange. But it's fine. Um, and I was watching it, and I was like, as a child, I think Hank Azaria would appeal to you because he does the funny voice, and he still lives with his mom, and like, and as you said, he was your favorite character growing up. But as an adult watching it, and that, that's what's really lovely about this movie, you can watch it as both of those things and enjoy it. I think, uh, which is. Possibly what they were going for, or not going for. Either way, it works. And I was like, I think, like, it's between William H. Macy and Ben Stiller is my favourite character. Mm. Um, but Hank Azaria is still valid within that trio to bring that sort of, like, light-heartedness to Yeah, it. He, he has the right energy for, like, balancing those two. Yeah, it's, it's a real perfect little dynamic between the three of them. And then, as we've previously mentioned, you've got the other two randomers, and then the woman is very much sort and of just, the like... On her own. Oh, and then the Sphinx, who's sort of um, like the guy in the wheelchair in dodgeball, like yeah, <laughs> sort of the wise tutor, old mage. Um, but no, it's it's such a funny film, and I mean funny as in like I don't know how I feel about it. I laughed so much parts of the way through it. Parts of the way through it, I cringed so much and was like, Dear, oh god, no, stop, stop, stop. And that I was satisfied wholly in parts and very unsatisfied in other parts. But I can't really describe to you either of what it was, like, what it was about it that did that to me. Um, Shall I tell you why I love it? Yeah, please do. I mean, okay, one, first, I think it's very, very funny. Fair. But two, it's the world building. It's very specifically built city that I entirely believe exists, Champion City, mm. and it's like a sort of weird. It's a it's a Gotham, yeah, metropolis. like a. But it's like a sort of a more futuristic, gothy, but really abstract city with an island, like an Alcatraz style yeah. asylum island, and um, like strange public transport. It looked like. Yeah. But old school diners. Lots it, of blimps. Yeah. It's a kind of... What's the word? Comic book city. Yeah, it's a comic so. book city. It exists outside of the time zone. Like, I have no idea That's what it. year we're supposed to be in. That's such a good point. That's such a good point, actually. And for some reason I found that... I, it was partly because I was a kid and I'd not seen anything like that before. Mm. But I just found that world really appealing. And I entirely believe that each of those characters lived in that city and believed that they could be superheroes because they live in such a weird yeah, time such and a good point. area. Um, and, yeah, I thought that was great. I love the villain. Oh, Jeffrey Rush is having so much fun. Like, he's having so much fun. You can particularly see it, this is not going to work on a podcast, <laughs> where you see him sharpen his nail file yeah. as he goes in for the final attack and he goes like... <laughs> He and, like, like, swings forward with his <laughs> eyes really wide, brandishing his, like, little finger fingernail. He, like, pulls his head back to, like, cat snarl, like... <sighs> and then, like, pulls himself forward towards... Yeah, where, like, 
you can't see his <laughs> legs moving or anything. It's like he floats. Yeah, and, like oh. sort of Dracula esque. Yeah. Um, brilliantly timed. Brilliantly, like the idea because at the same time the fingernail is doing severe damage to Ben Stiller's face. <laughs> yeah. It's drawing blood. It's painful. And then as an adult, you're sitting there going, ew, it's unhygienic. Yeah. Like, That's his gross fingernail. But it's a fingernail. Like, what? Again, kind of absurdist. Like, It really jumps between that, doesn't it? I mean, we've said it again and again, but what is confusing about the film, and I think it's why I like it, but I think it's also why a lot of people don't like it, mm. is that it's dark, but then it's silly. It's... It's this man is running at you with his little fingernail, and that's all he's using to fight. <laughs> yeah. And he's doing it while hissing like a cat. <laughs> but he's actually really badly scratching his face <laughs> yeah. and threatening to slit the throat of his girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, whoa! <laughs> it's really bizarre, but it's brilliant. Um, his main henchman is Eddie Izzard as like a. 1970s disco there's Tony P and Tony C (laughs) leader of the disco boys and they're all dressed as if they're going out on the set of Saturday Night Fever and every uh, move that they do is like a disco move even while running away they have to stop (laughs) to do a bit of disco (laughs) dancing and then keep going and so that's funny because they've clearly got that theme of the, like, oh, we're the disco boys, so we've got to do disco. But then they also just use guns as their weapon, and there's a whole scene where they're made fun of by the main gang because they're using... For not guns. sticking to a theme. Yeah. I, my, one of my favourite lines is where they go, check out the guy with the pipe. What are you, the disco plumber? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've got a chain, like, but you could have made it gold. Do that's you see just off the top of my head. <laughs> but, like, it's brilliantly funny because... Of, of the obvious point of like they're being threatened by guns and all they care about is the lack of theming and yet the disco boys do have a theming just not with their weaponry and I think it's those sort of weird like what's happening in this movie that make yeah that make people be like huh like I, lo- I love a world where all the villains agree to dress in costume <laughs> yeah. and even though they're like serious people who might shoot you in the head mm. they're like oh no no I'll, I'll wear the makeup I yeah. love the bit when the woman who was supposed to be the psychiatrist of Casanova yeah. Frankenstein comes out and it turns out she's on his side and she's wearing this new little like funky bat hat thing <laughs> she comes out literally like how in the end of Charlie's Angels movie they're all suddenly like in black because they're like we're evil now like she very much does that and she does the classic wearing glasses suited up and then she like comes out with Jeffrey Rush in like a long ball gown with no glasses on, like I'm evil now. She was a character who served literally no purpose. I can't even remember where she went. Did she get beaten in the end? So Did she just, we like, first meet her in the asylum, and she's like, "Ah, oh, yes, he's perfectly cured." And then it's revealed that she's evil and hangs out with him. But every time we cut back. She's there, but Jeffrey Rush is hanging out with, like, another woman and kissing her on the cheek. She's not, like, his girlfriend. She's not, like, his Harley Quinn. The one moment where I really like her is when they're having that really rowdy party with that group of very strange villains. And then there's that one shot of her, like, eating her dinner looking really, like, annoyed (laughs) that she's got all these, like, rowdy people (laughs) around her house. Including Michael Bay and CeeLo Green. Yeah. (laughs) There is a really good, some really great cameos. I mean, Doug Jones. Mm. turns up um, Pencil Man Pencil Man 
and with a razor boy or something. <laughs> um, and we haven't even mentioned Tom Waits, yeah, who plays the character that jumps from comic book to screen, Doctor Heller, who makes these um... non-lethal <laughs> weapons. <laughs> he and he also does chicken rentals. Is brilliant. I mean, I you'll never hear me say a bad word about Tom Waits. This is the thing. I can argue until I'm blue in the face that it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I just have to go like, uh, Tom Waits is in <laughs> Tom Waits wouldn't be in a bad movie. Right. <laughs> Tom Waits doesn't do bad movies. Tom Waits only does good movies. And so therefore... I need you to say it. It's gotta be a good movie. <laughs> it is a good movie. It is a good movie. I enjoyed it. I was looking forward to watching it. What I really enjoyed about it is that I'd forgotten a lot of what happened. Um... I'd forgotten that they 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 fucking kill Captain Amazing, and he like, does. They kill it. they kill him. They the supervillains don't. Because I was like, oh, Jeffrey Rush might kill Captain Amazing, so our heroes can come to the forefront. No, no, Hank Azaria kills Captain yeah, Amazing entirely by just being inept. <laughs> it's like what? Um, I yeah, I'd forgotten a lot of the sort of arcs that happen. I'd forgotten that Invisible Boy was actually invisible. Like all these little things that were very sort of satisfying to come across as if it was new again. Um, yeah, I, I would, I would watch it again. It's just, it's just fun, despite its flaws, of which there aren't that many, to be honest. It, and you can, it's like The Office. I when I first started watching the UK Office, I I would just have to like go and make a cup of tea whenever David Brent was doing like a monologue because I'd be like, I, I can't, I can't be in the same room. It was too cringy based right now. And then you learn to sort of be okay with it. And if this was on in the background and uh, Pee Wee Herman started talking, I'll just I'll just leave the room for a bit. <laughs> like it's fine. And then I'll come back in for when like Hank Azaria is back on board. He really does commit to how disgusting he makes that character. And I didn't realise it was Pee Wee Herman until literally. Yeah, you you read it to me. I didn't know that. I always thought it was the uh, the guy from Wayne's World that's not Mike Myers, the like blonde haired guy that was also in another movie by himself and he was renowned for doing like gross out humour of mm. the early 2000s but um no it's Pee Wee Hammond um covered in spots <gasps> greasy hair gross teeth uh, uh p- putting on like a sort of hey, hey, he kind of sounds like shit the schlaf yeah shit the schlaf that's, that's a good thing. one nice Slaving the saliva. Oh, no, I'm not good at that. <laughs> you fill your mouth with saliva. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, I like him more now. Mm. As a kid, yeah, I yeah. was way too sensitive about and gross too, out yeah. humor, oh, my And, God, like, I found it so... I, like, felt like they were talking down to me. Yes. So I hated him as a character because I thought it was just all about the farts mm. and I just didn't want to hear and about that it. should be funny in its own right because butts am I right yeah but actually as an adult watching it he is funny like he, he funny. does some great like looks yeah um and uh, that one where he like someone says but we won't get by by force or flatulence alone and he goes <laughs> <gasps> and does a like really dramatic wait, look wait, around what <laughs> kind of look like, yeah. Or when Ben Stiller's storming out of the encampment and he just, like, continues sewing, like, shaking his head. Yeah. Everyone else is, like, paused for effect and he's just sewing away. <laughs> <laughs> like, he just, yeah, it was a really... I think it was really well performed. Mm. It's a shame he's so goddamn awful to look so at. Gross. But he performs it really funnily. Mm-hmm. And I actually got a lot more... Once I was past how cringy I find his power, I was like, oh, he's, like... 
a nice lonely guy who keeps getting like rejected to be hung out with. Yeah. Uh, it was just really nice to see him find some friends. It's funny, as an adult, you really do appreciate these people as people, where mm. I imagine as a child you saw them more as characters. I think, you know, there were certain ones I could get on board with, mm-hmm. and there were ones that you don't really get it. Like, Shoveler, I will appreciate a lot more as an adult. Yes. Because you can't... I mean, obviously I can't now because I'm not a father of three children. <laughs> but you can more, as an adult, mm. appreciate that he is doing something he feels he has to do despite his duty and the fact that he loves his family. Yeah. And sort of the threat of divorce mm-hmm. that he's facing is obviously a lot more real to me now. And leaving his kids fatherless. Yeah. The, the potential death that he's walking into. Like, that really got me around um, along this viewing where he's like, I'm going to go now because even if you're not going to be here in the morning for me, if I don't go, there won't be a morning to wake up to. Um, and you're like, yo, he could die. Like, he could straight up die. And knowing this movie, it wouldn't have surprised me if they did kill a character, which is so bizarre to me, because then they all walk away from the fight, just covered in a bit of mud and smoke, and you're like, oh, of course none of them died, because this is a movie for fucking kids. But I believe they could. But also, yeah, the stakes are weirdly high, whilst also not at all being high, because it's a movie for kids, but also definitely not a movie for kids. And... I I find it fascinating that they're able to ride that line so well. Like, Mm. it's very rare that you get a movie like this, and I almost feel like it's never something you can make on purpose. How successful it is by being a, like... It does feel like maybe they just fumbled it, fumbled their way to it, and in the editing room were like, yeah, that sort of works. Like, we've got some gross-out humour, some darker humour. You've got villains who carry guns and will shoot you in the head and did murder... Uh, Bowler's father Mm. but we also can believe that they would just choose to kick the trio and then fling them out without (laughs) actually doing them much damage at all It's, yeah, it's a very strange line we walk and the moment they kill Captain Amazing Mm -hmm. that obviously like suddenly you realise that people can die in the movie yeah yeah and (sighs) I think as a kid, I don't know, you're going to have to tell me, you'd be like, oh, brilliant, now it's time for my heroes to step up to the plate. I don't know. I just remember, I think even kids can really read the thing of how inept they are. You're on their side, but they are woefully incompetent. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's funny. Um, But I think I was sort of hoping they'd do okay but then you weren't really sure uh, yeah I wasn't that is nice and it's good for children and then on the other side of that when we're introduced to Captain Amazing we see him like push an old person in a wheelchair out the way I like, stumble like, love push Captain Amazing he <laughs> played brilliantly yeah Greg Kinnear absolutely killing it mm-hmm. so funny um he's not in that much of the movie but it's brilliant having that transfer where the first time we meet him he's saving a bunch of old people from an armed robbery um and he says hey have a you know keep up the good work to the trio who just got completely their asses kicked Mm -hmm. and then gradually he starts doing things like knock past that kid and push that man in the wheelchair (laughs) out the way and then when he it's when they go we heard you lost your pepsi endorsement that he's like 
and it plays like a scare chord and he stares furiously yeah. and goes <laughs> this manager I hadn't heard that <laughs> you're like oh it's brilliantly led up to and then of course we're in the limo with him and he's like wrapping the Pepsi branding off his costume being like what the fuck am I meant to do and his manager's like I don't know man um, and I think that part is probably my favourite part of his performance because the camera is just just looking at him quite still mm. and he delivers quite long bits of dialogue yeah. where he like complains about him losing sponsorship and says he's working his ass off and he thought it looked pathetic and it's just really enjoyable seeing him sort of almost monologue yeah. to the camera. The use of camera in this movie is fascinating. They do a lot of point of view shots, like a lot of them. And I don't know if it it's it manages to then get you into the movie more. You feel like you're sat in the limo with Captain Amazing and you feel like you're having the door shut on you by Hank Azaria. And... You feel like you're having the shoveler's <laughs> wife put her rubber gloved hands <laughs> on both sides of your face. So, I feel like that was someone that was like, okay, I've got an idea for a joke that like uses the camera. We're going to try it. And then they like ran out of time and they were like, let's just keep it in. It is funny it's not like anything I've seen before. Show it, it. It's a, it's a two-way shot that keeps going from the shoveler to the shoveler's wife. But you're right. Like she's wearing. She's big saying something really earnest and moving, <laughs> and she's saying, "You're a good father and a good husband." But that's all. And she's trying to like, you know, emotionally convince him not to go out doing his hero work. And she puts her hands slowly on either side of his face and she's wearing big blue rubber gloves. And then when it goes to his perspective shot, like, she's stood there really close with the big blue rubber gloves on either side of the camera. The camera. It was very peep show-ish, that bit. Yeah, very clever and funny and, like, it works, but then, like, they never really use it like that again. But I did really like how often they use that type of camera, mm. and I thought they committed to it a lot more than I would often expect movies to. Like, I feel like sometimes you see something like that, and it's like a cool shot that the director thought of, and then that's it. Mm -hmm. And in this, they do so many point-of-view shots, yeah. frequently the actors are talking to the camera yeah. breaking the fourth wall like all the time which but like, they're not so, really breaking they, the fourth wall yeah. because you are the character yeah so they're talking to their friend but for that shot you are their friend and maybe that's why it feels like you're in this world as well and because they do such a good job of the world building as you said earlier it's very easy to slip yourself into it because you're aware of your surroundings and now the camera is allowing you to slip into that space as well opposite Ben Stiller in the diner or whatever and it's fascinating and it's really it's really interesting and I can't really think every time I think of another movie breaking the fourth wall in that way it does it like sort of ah oh, yes we are now knowingly breaking the fourth wall to get an academy award or something whereas this is just like hey wouldn't it be fun if like I think they were just thinking about how they could frame it in a fun way mm. and a really good way to get you in the action is just being like, cool, you're there now too. Yeah, yeah. Ben Stiller's going to turn to you and say something. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bizarre. Um, but yeah, so they sort of go through all of the superhero tropes and subvert them um, in some ways that we've mentioned in that they 
don't intend to hurt anyone, but they do also kill two people. At least two people. At least two. It's Probably more. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because they're kind of actively using non-lethal methods, but then when they find out that Dr. Heller's weapons are always non-lethal, he's like, what the hell? And they, like, storm out yeah. until he shows them how effective they can be. So... What are their intentions? I don't know. Yeah. Did they genuinely intend to go in and kill all of those people? Because as unlicensed... Like, they're not cops. They don't have a license to kill. They would have killed all of those people. And then probably have to have served time for it. I think we live in a different legal world, though. That's Everyone accepts, you know, Captain Amazing. And I think mm -hmm. in that world there's probably some legislation new legislation that allows the vigilante to like do what they want yeah because i guess most people would assume you're either gonna help us or get killed yeah and that makes no difference to us either way yeah um yeah it's interesting i'm trying to think of other ways that they subvert the sort of superhero tropes i guess like the training uh is quite a good subversion of superhero tropes mm -hmm. because it it relies on the wise old master and I, I really enjoy the fact that everything the Sphinx says during the training montage is just a flipping of something yeah. so it's um, I'm trying to think of a really basic one um, if, if you use uh, your training to question all you will train to do is question yes. something and then it turns into things like, when you can balance attack hammer on your head, you will head off your opponents with a balanced attack. Yeah. And until you learn to control your rage, your rage will control you. Which is a brilliant, brilliant moment, because he says the first half, and then Ben still completes it, and he's like, that's what you were going to say, right? That's, that's where you were going with that? And he's like, not necessarily. necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. Um, because... And I love that they, they have that reliance on the, you know, sort of... Almost wise, older, kid, sort of teaching uh, them yes. how to do things. Almost fortune cookie esque sort of uh, yeah. phrases. Yeah, a very sort of it's a kind of spiritual mm. giving of wisdom. But and he gives them some good advice. But then they also have like it's all about group hugs. It's about trusting each other. Mm -hmm. It's about making your costumes look nice, which is adorable because then they're sort of in a, a camp encampment with like sewing machines and like that's part of training. One thing, I've got a bunch of things to say about this bit. So, like, we're assuming that within the training they're planting a bunch of stuff and they one major part of training is learning to work as a team and it is the group hug in the end that saves the day. Not quite sure how because it's actually the bowling ball that saves the day. It's about getting close enough to the thing. So if they oh, all separately right. try to get to the big right. portal, they'd get sucked in. But when they're all in a group hug, they're, like, steady as a rock. Okay. Holding my friends... Yeah. Major part of training, which I thought was really lovely, was that they were like, they did a whole thing where it's like, I believe in my powers, and everyone's like, I believe in my powers, and then he's like, I believe in my team members' powers, and they're like, I, I believe in my powers. But again, right by the climax, Ben still is going through an anxiety attack and isn't part of the team until his girlfriend is taken. Bowling ball lady is dealing with her dad. Uh, the other two are going off by themselves. Again, they don't really work as a team to save the day. Not until the very end. Until the group hug. We, so I guess it... 
I don't know, it didn't do enough to sort of pay off that initial plan. I think that's true. I would have liked more scenes where the things they did together, like worked really well yeah um and it was kind of funny that we got a scene midway through the movie when they attacked the car oh yeah that actually they do have quite good teamwork yeah and then we go back to them not having good teamwork yeah and then they learn at the end that they need to be a good team yeah it's uh, it could have done better with that. It could yeah. have like chosen to make that go the car attack go worse, and then I put forgot more moments that the car attack happened. Like it, it's a very bizarre scene. It achieves nothing apart from that it's hilarious. Yes, <laughs> it is actually hilarious. They like lock the villains in the car by accident, <laughs> fart inside the car. Poor Jeffrey Rush is trying to like meditate away how annoying they are. They <laughs> like, is, like pulling his fork down the side like, of the door. keys his car with a fork. <laughs> and Ben Stiller is just jumping on top of the limo going <laughs> and he like gets furious and tries to tear off their little like hood ornament and can't do it. <laughs> It's very funny. It's very funny, but it genuinely achieves nothing. But as you say, it does show that they work well as a team as well, uh, except from Ben Stiller working well as a team. But then when they're working, when they're in the training session, it's not that everyone else is working well as a team and Ben Stiller isn't. It's sort of that the others are willing to do a group hug, but Ben Stiller isn't, but none of them believe in each other's powers enough. And yeah. I don't know, there just needed I, to be a bit clearer distinction, maybe. Yeah, I think narrative-wise that seems necessary because we haven't really understood how their powers can be used for attack. And that scene shows us, like, oh, good, uh, this is how the bowling ball works, yeah. this is how this works. And it establishes, like, Ben Stiller as the more useless one. I mean, yeah. Lou Raja does not do a lot, but mm -mm. he accidentally locks them in the car, so that's fine. Yeah. Um, and then gives a surprise look to the bowler. Like, <laughs> wow, I just did something. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of just for setting up, one, uh, Ben Stiller not joining the team properly. Mm -hmm into what they can do and then it also gives the disco boys a reason to try and shoot them later that's true which is when the sphinx turns up and cuts the guns in half with his yeah mind. which again was a great plant and payoff because it was just sort of like a one of those like, they're very good at this they say something that's like completely unbelievable and then they come through with it and it's a very nice joke i enjoy that kind of humor very yeah. much unfortunately i didn't get that the gun guns had been cut out. i was like did they like break no one did anything but this goes back to me just not dealing well with mystery within my movies i'm like flo what's happening i don't get it what's going on why isn't anyone explaining this to me and i'm not weird with very deep meaning <laughs> the guns were cut in half with someone's mind you were like ah <laughs> that is a like you said really nice plant and they do that a lot where the it's a throwaway comment so mm -hmm. they say what's his superpower oh well he's terribly mysterious mm -hmm. that's it he's mysterious well terribly mysterious and then the shoveler goes plus i heard he can cut guns in half with his mind <laughs> yeah. everyone's like okay yeah it's good it's the, it's good that it's like understated and then it like comes through um why don't they just let everyone that applied to be a superhero that day come with them on the mission because surely manpower is better than specifics. I hear you and I think in a lot of films, yes, 
but we're told specifically that their main problem is that they don't work together as a team. I mean, imagine trying to get all of like those people, people to work yeah. as a team. Fair, it's fair. But um, yeah, they could have been helpful. There was Waffle Man, who literally burns people with a waffle <laughs> iron. Yeah, he was brilliant. He had his own theme tune and everything. I think that was Dane Cook. He's like an American comedian. Oh, cute. I thought it was someone of significance because he got like three Quite minutes a lot of time to risk, whereas everyone else got like ten seconds. Um, it's a PG. Weird. Yeah. I mean, I obviously, like, I watched it since I was like six. Yeah. And I never had a big problem with it. I didn't know what PMS was then, and I remember then seeing it when I was like 11 and being like, Oh, uh, I understand why she's so pissed off because I never really like got what um, yeah. PMS woman was talking about. I thought yeah. she was just a horrible lady yeah, who turns yeah. up and berates them. <laughs> I was like, okay, um, yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because I see why they would want to make it PG because I think they weren't sure if it was a children's movie or not. Yeah, but I'm surprised because there are quite a lot of sexual references. Um, and I do remember feeling a little bit weird as a kid at seeing the like uh, the bit where they shrink the clothes of the women because it just mm-hmm. it it was like it's too I know this term comes up a lot but male gazy it yeah, was like it was very male sort of writhing around on the floor doing high pitched shrieking while there's like you could see their like butt becoming more and more apparent and it wasn't in fairness it wasn't a really sexualized shot no so I think they might have thought look adults who see that will know that oh and therefore Ben Stiller's finding it hot because their clothes are shrinking. Yeah. But I think they probably thought, well, kids won't get that that's like yeah, a sexual thing. Yeah, if your kid thing. gets it, you've done something wrong with Brady. Because it's not kids. like focusing on someone's ass. It's yeah. just like, look, it's a girl riding around. Her, short, her skirt is getting shorter because yeah. her clothes are shrinking. But I did as a kid note that that was a thing. Because like, I guess you wouldn't have understood Ben Stiller's joke but then no. also have known that it was something like it's meant it's it's done in a way that you know it's meant to be funny but you don't know why and it's like when people used to get kicked in the balls in kids movies and as a kid you'd be like yes because kicking a man in the trousers there is painful i don't know why but i know that it is mm. but yeah there are a number of sexualized shots and a number there's of- that weird shot where we're in uh, tom waits's like laboratory if you will and there's a weird mannequin with huge boobs that have nipples on them mm. and the frame it's sh- it's framed where there's the like two boobs and then like the woman superhero and like that's a shot as she's talking and i just noted it cuz i was like why have you chosen to position your camera in a way that you're just getting these mannequins' boobs and there's the woman? Like, yeah. it just... It felt like you were trying to be artistic, but it just looks stupid. I think it... I feel like it was just a kind of cheap joke where it was supposed to be, like, she's completely ignoring the weirdness of the surroundings and she's just talking to him, but there's a fucking mannequin there with its tits out that they're all, like, politely ignoring that he keeps in his, like, weird <laughs> warehouse He lives... Yeah. His little den that is situated <laughs> in, in the fun, the house, fun of house of an abandoned carnival. Um, so, yeah, I think it was just kind of a weird joke. But it, that in itself was weird. I mean, I know it's just a mannequin, 
But it's just, there's a shot in this movie where there's just a bare pair of tits, like, yeah. largely the focus of the shot. Literally, like, a couple of times as well. I think that's what it is. Um, it must have been impossible to market. I know it was it severely um, did not make its money back. It a uh, budget of 68 million and it grossed 33 million worldwide. Mm. But it then deserved I, better. Well, I look at the poster, and this is one of the posters where it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the characters are on there, and they've all got a. It's very weird. They're sort of silhouetted black and white. Oh, it's kind of purpley. But then they've all got a sort of back, sort of splash of colour behind who they are. Um, it's. Yeah, it's really, really strange. I look at this poster and I'm like, what is it this movie It almost looks like, like a poster for like 300. It's that kind of like colour scheme. Like a graphic and... design. Yeah, like... Um... And that looks very dark for what it is. Yeah. But then if you went really colourful, then I think parents might be a little horrified at like, you know... <laughs> Greg Kinnear's melting face. Yeah, which scared me as a kid. Although <laughs> I did still find it funny. Yes, and, like, there's nothing wrong... Like, so many Don Bluth animations and Disney animations have terrifying, terrifying nightmare-inducing things in them. It's important. It's good to freak kids out a yeah, little bit. Definitely. And this was one of my prime childhood, like, <laughs> I can face this fine, but that is fucking freaky. Yeah. Greg Kinnear You want your nightmares to come from melted. Greg Kinnear's melted face, not from anything genuinely tragic and human when you're, like, ten. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'd much rather be frightened because... This man in the Simpsons book had big ears. Oh, don't even talk about him. That actually sent a weird thrill through me. Like, you freaked me out now. I don't want to think about the Simpsons but, man with like, big ears. You know, rather than because, like, God forbid you're a child of, like, abuse or, like, your parents have died early. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, just to be really, really tragic about it. But, On like... this podcast about mystery men. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right. I'm glad that, like, my fears surrounded, like, Greg Kinnear getting melted. Yes. Um, which I still would never want to happen. Of course, he's brilliant. He's the dad from Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. Yeah, I got really, like, <laughs> shitty with you when we were watching yeah. it, and you said, oh, it's the dad from Little Miss Sunshine. And I was like, it's Greg Kinnear! <laughs> you are the civilised <laughs> beast! <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I know his name, and I know his face, but I've never put the two together. Yeah, it's fine. I know who Ben Stiller is. Good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm honestly, looking at this poster, it must have been... An absolute nightmare to market. Um, you've got you've got Ben Stiller, who even like nineteen ninety nine is like must have been pre. He's sort of in that meet the parents mode as a po- and the um, so he's been doing sort of adult comedies up until this point where he's like depressed. Yeah, like a. Um, something about Mary oh sorry you mean that I was thinking you mean his modern stuff I get you oh no 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 like back in the 90s I assume he was doing the sort of like haha jizz in your hair comedies yeah then he does this and then he continues to do things like dodgeball and, and Zoolander and stuff which are for adults well I mean this same movie, movie has well. similar feelings to Zoolander yeah it's the same kind of like really absurd characters that don't exist in real life like the jokes being all about sort of ineptitude and like stupid exchanges where one person's trying to explain something to someone and the other person's just not getting it. Yeah. Um maybe it's because it's a superhero movie but we hadn't gotten meta with our superhero movies yet. We were still very much we're ramping up in 
in two years time Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire is going to be released in one year's time X-Men is going to be released yeah so this is pre the superhero hype I imagine if this came out in like 2009 like just 10 years later perhaps it would have done better maybe it's true that it probably was quite early to be trying to make superhero trope jokes where we maybe as the viewing public hadn't had enough superhero all we'd had is the Batman and we'd gone from 1989 Batman to 1992 Batman Returns then Batman Forever which shared a lot of sets with this movie and then Batman and Robin possibly came out the same year which is famously a piece of shit so perhaps People weren't they in just, the mood yeah, for superhero They were stuff. like, oh no. But I can't tell that this is a superhero movie. From looking at it, I'm like, something about minors? Because the, like, William H. Macy's hat really, really standing stands out. out. Um, it's, yeah, I can see it's how it's a hard one to market. But mm. it also is, people who saw it didn't seem to like it. And oh. like you said, I don't know if it's that... <laughs> I mean, I'd love to believe that it was ahead of its time. Um, <sighs> by... Like it making fun sense. of movies that haven't come out yet, well. <laughs> but it's also. I think I, don't know. I think it was a. It's a bit of a mess, and I enjoy it for that. But I would have loved to have seen a movie that had had a little bit more thought and care put into it, that had been tightened up and really had a vision as to what it was trying to say, as opposed to just oh, it's like it doesn't yeah. even seem to have anything really to do with its source material, which was a seventies comic book. They just clearly sort of saw that and was like, ah, that's a cool idea, like, let's make fun of superheroes. Um, And Greg Kinnear is very much Batman. So they're maybe riffing off those four Batman movies that had come out. And yeah, as you say, perhaps if it was was made now, like, my God, if if there's ever going to be a time where people are sick of superhero movies, it's fucking here in 2020, having had Avengers Endgame come out this year, like, well, last year, like... Now's the time to reboot Mystery Men, because also it's 90s and we're in a massive nostalgia throwback to the 90s. Oh yeah, that's true. That is true. We'd have to change some of the plot and stuff. The thing I think is that, like, I don't know, it's such a silly movie, and I love that it embraced that, but are people ready to go back to just absurd, silly comedy? Yeah. It needs to be saying something deep, and it's not. Mystery Men is not trying to say anything. It's just being like, wouldn't it be funny if you were like trying to be a superhero, but you just covered, you carried around a shovel, and you just hit people with it? <laughs> it, it, Netflix. It would have to go to Netflix to have like an eight-episode TV series. Uh, I feel like there must be something like this already. Yeah, there's got to be, but I don't know what it is. But I feel there's room for it. I feel Netflix is the place for it to exist and it that would give it a chance to sort of breathe. Um, I know what you mean, but you can definitely tie it. If you want to aim it for children, you just tie it into that friendship. And but I don't, I don't want them to do that. I don't want them to make it for children, but right. I don't want them to take out some of the more absurd comedy. Childish humor. I don't want them to try and make it dark. I don't want you to tell me how, oh, the Blue Raja's so sad that he's stuck <laughs> living with his mum. He feels like he's failed in life. Like, no, don't care. <laughs> it pilfers his mother's cutlery door. That's all I need to know. <laughs> um, who would have to herald it? Uh, could John Mulaney take it on? Do it well? John Mulaney and Nick Kroll? Could they herald this well? 
with that childish humour whilst remaining adult? I... Or are they not the right vibe? I think their comedy can be too smart sometimes, like they're wordy and in fairness Mystery Men is quite wordy it's but it's wordy. also slapstick and it's um, raucous yeah. and dumb. I, I, do, I think maybe have a place. I think it just needs to stay in the past but we should do our duty of going to people and saying it actually wasn't that bad you should try it you should watch it just, just stick it on and I'm kind of surprised that we've reached this point in the podcast where we're like ooh maybe we could bring it back or maybe we could just herald how amazing it was and that because it was poorly reviewed and did badly in the box office and when I go online and try and just find out some stuff <laughs> about some one friends. of my all-time favourite movies, <laughs> it's just people writing comments like, I can't believe how shit this was. This was awful. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? Did people that you showed it to when you were younger feel the same as you or feel the same as the people online? They all laughed along. We weren't big on, like, having in-depth discussions about how we felt about the movie we saw. I mean, we watched Evolution a bunch of times. So. I loved Evolution. Oh, good. <laughs> it's brilliant. Suffice to say, we were not, like, film critics. Yeah. Um, we'd do that. We'd go eat some cake. We'd run outside and nice. go on the trampoline <laughs> and hurt uh, myself again. Simple times. <laughs> good times. Um, but I, I just always liked it, and we used to quote it a lot. I think mm. it has some really clever lines in it. It does, it does. You, I mean, out of context, you always quote the, um, even though it has no relevance to anything in normal life, that sort of like, oh, well, Captain Amazing is Lance, whatever his name is. <laughs> <laughs> Not this again. <laughs> Lance whatever has... Lance Albers? Something like that. Lance Albers wears glasses. <laughs> Captain Amazing doesn't wear glasses. He takes them off when he transforms. This doesn't make any sense. He wouldn't be able to see. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's I bring that up every chapter I get. <laughs> because then, of course, we get a wonderful moment where it's William H. Macy that says that, again, so dignified, so seriously, like, no, you don't... Un he wouldn't be able to, to see. see. And then when he's face-to-face -face with Greg Kinnear... And he's got the time. He's, like, putting sort of glasses-shaped things in front of him. Yeah. And, it like, everyone else is like, oh, my God, we have to save him. Quick, fuck. And he's just really sort of delicately being like, um... And that's where the movie's best, where it's doing comedy alongside peril. And yes. that's a great scene where it's, like, it's funny and they're all, like, chatting with Captain Amazing while he's trying to give very important instructions as to how to not kill him. <laughs> yeah. And, like, he's getting distracted and they're having an argument <laughs> and he's yelling at them and... Uh, the shoveler is in the background holding up two like circular things, yeah. looking at him like, oh, he looks the same. <laughs> and then he like steps forward in the midst of all this and he's like, hey, I'm really sorry, just while I've got you here, just answer me yes or no. Are you Lance Alvear? And he's like, uh, or, like, do you know Lance Alvear? And he's like, I am him. And he's like, what? He's just like, kidding, yeah. just kidding. I've always wanted to do that. And like, obviously he is Lance, whatever. But like, it just like, you're right, you're right, you're absolutely right. It's the juxtaposition of everything. And if this movie was more of that, perhaps it would have worked out better for everyone involved. I don't know. It just... I it's just... Brilliant. I really stand by it. I know it's a bit of a mishmash, but I think it's hard for me to see that it's kind of jumping all over the place because I know 
it so well mm. that it makes perfect sense to me the progression yeah. of the plot and I'm never like oh whoa the mood's really changed here because I'm ready for it yeah that's fair but, uh, yeah I'll agree with that and it wasn't so jarring to me like um when I used to watch Hunchback of Notre Dame as a child or even The Lion King it never occurred to me that we went immediately from Mufasa's death to Hakuna Matata mm. it's only now when you're like on the internet and people are like um I think you'll find it that I'm like oh yeah stuff happens in movies yeah like, def- I feel like also as adults we're probably just more sensitive to it because we don't just like let the movie lead us it. along yeah. and just be like oh this is how we're feeling now yeah I mean it's particularly egregious in Hunchback where they're burning the <laughs> the city down and you just see this family get like almost burnt to death and then the gargoyle sings a funny song a guy like you he says ah the city of Paris is burning this evening it's glowing, no, it's glowing this, this evening. evening true that's because it's on fire and you're like wait um, are we laughing about that yeah. now yeah are we finding it funny that a family nearly burned to death and Phoebus had like took an arrow for them yeah <laughs> And then they go on to say, and because you're shaped like a croissant who could not love a guy like you? It's beautiful. It's brilliant. Whenever we do, uh, as we often do, guess the movie theme or the song from the movie quizzes on YouTube, an all-star by Smash Mouth comes up, which is, of course, as we all know, attributed to 2001's Shrek. Um, it is actually played twice in this movie, and you twice. always insist... That it is you in know why now? Every time that plays, you go Shrek and I go Mystery Man. Every time. It's twice in this, so it actually it has more song. all-star in than yeah. Shrek does. And, and it works better thematically. It works better as a song. It's during the training montage and also then over the credits, as I say, which like kind of gives it weight. Yeah. I would agree, even though we would then be incorrect... I would agree that <laughs> this song is should be but for you mystery know, men. What, do you care about your integrity or do you care about <laughs> winning the quiz? I can't answer that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's got a great soundtrack, this movie. It really does. <laughs> it really <laughs> helped along by the fact that some of the main villains are disco people. Yes. So therefore, every time they're on screen, it's playing a new funky tune from the 70s. Yeah. Night Fever, Freak Out... Um, Disco Inferno, etc. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, Yeah, anything else you want to say? Just that, like, I invite anyone who says it's bad to come fight me. Fisticuffs. (laughs) Fisticuffs at dawn. Yes. (laughs) Um, It's really not that bad. Like, I'm, I'm... I'm not surprised that people online are like, <laughs> especially nowadays in a world where we like, like tear things apart. It's not helped by it's an old movie now. Mm-hmm. I think Very it's of its time, and I know it's a little bit shambolically put together. Yeah, I think a lot of that adds to its charm to me. It's like yeah. a childhood movie, and yeah, the humour is all over the place, but that's part of it. Kind of works, and I enjoyed it as an adult having not watched it as a child I do run a podcast where I watch children's movies because I love them so I'm often more susceptible to a children's movie where another adult may not be but I feel there's a draft of this on a cutting room floor somewhere that's at least a 12 mm-hmm. perhaps if this was re-released in the cinemas now it could even warrant a 12 for certain parts like I, I don't know like but don't let the PG rating put you off it's 
a jolly good romp. It is and a good romp. It's a brilliant cast of actors. It is an amazing cast. Brilliant performances. Like, they really are. Like, they really are. Um, as I say, it's really made me think about how good Ben Stiller is and why he's as popular and as famous as he is. Um, yeah. Belongs where it is. Good. But, but good. Like, I did enjoy it. I, I made my points that I had to make. Yeah, I agree. It's it's but not a good uh, thing for <laughs> women. For women. But um, it's fine. That's not what it's about. What it is about is it does well. And it, I literally laughed out loud so many times. So you can't deny that it's not... You can't deny that it's funny. Yeah. Like, it is very, very funny. And even if you just want to watch clips of it, or do you think they should watch it in the whole... I, I mean, I think... For me, a lot of the appeal is in lines that would never probably be in a clip. Like, it's That's just true. offhand. Because I think a lot of, like, the really good humour in it is just lines that are buried in a scene. And it's only when you see it for the third time that you're like, wait, what he just <laughs> said was super weird and hilarious. Yeah. And as we said as well, the facial reactions a lot of the time are just yeah. people in the background. And it's nice to know, I think... The cast is so good, and uh, it, I like the journey they go on, so mm. I think it's worth a full watch. But yeah, that's fair. if not, or if you decide you don't like it, maybe just watch some movie clips and hear the really funny lines, and then shut up. <laughs> go away forever. Um, but yeah, brilliant. It was good, it was good. I'm glad I, I'm glad I rewatched it. Oh, good. I'm glad. I was really ready to fight my corner there. Well, but... I do have to sleep in the same house as you tonight, so I was watching sort of saving my face from being pressed on by a pillow while I sleep. But I genuinely did enjoy the movie. Okay, I'm not just good. trying to not die. Don't fork get it. <laughs> <laughs> just a classic example there of some really One good of the humor. many puns. <laughs> By area. Um, do you have anything to plug? Where do you want us to find you on social media? Add me on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I need more friends. <laughs> Be my friend on Facebook. Um, do you have a Tumblr? No. <laughs> no. I do, but... <laughs> but it's not for you. Email into us at whythisfilmpodcast at gmail.com if you hated Mystery Men, and then I can forward you across to Flo, who will then start I'll a schedule our fight. Um, and if you did enjoy it, please send them in. And I will also forward them across to Flo <laughs> so she can print them out and put them on her wall. Um, yeah, genuinely let us know what you thought of this movie because I'm, I'm actually fascinated as to whether it's going to have a nostalgicness about it enough that people are going to be like, oh, actually, on a rewatch, I enjoyed it because it's fun and it's sweet and it's innocent-ish. Um, or whether you are still going to be like, it's a piece of shit, what are you talking about? So let us know because... I can't imagine the latest review on IMDb was particularly recent. 6th of July, 2000. They've written, they've rated it like 10 stars, though. They have. Play it straight and they will laugh, says director Kinka Usher, who also in the IMDb trivia says, fuck this, I'm going back to commercials. I don't want to deal with all this nonsense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know... <laughs> Potato, potato. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having for, me. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure. Never a chore. Uh, great choice of movie. Um, really happy to hear that you enjoy it despite being an adult now. 
Thanks. It's <laughs> always fun. Sounds slightly judgmental, but not <laughs> judgmental for the people that can't recapture their childhood when rewatching movies. Ah, uh, yes. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. We'll see you next time on Why This Film. Bye. Bye. And you can follow Why This Film on Instagram at Why This Film Podcast. We're on Twitter at Why This Film Pod, and we're on Facebook at Why This Film Podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, come on as a guest or have any movies that you'd like to suggest, you can email into us at widestfilmpodcast at gmail.com. Episodes come out every Tuesday in all your normal podcasting places. Why This Film Podcast has a Patreon. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it easy for artists and creators to get paid. Head to patreon.com forward slash why this film podcast and you can select a tier. For £3 a month, you can join Camelot and enjoy early access to episodes, including seasons one to three. You'll get to vote in polls and get a personal shout out on the pod. For £5 a month, you can join Fern Gully with instant access to everything from Camelot. Fern Gully members can also enjoy bonus content, live episode voting power, plus access to monthly movie night. Grab your popcorn and a drink of your choice as we pajama up and watch a movie together remotely. And for £10 a month, you can join the Enchanted Forest, where on top of everything from Camelot and Fern Gully, you can be part of a live episode where we all discuss a movie chosen by you. And if you're not into 80s and 90s animated tiers, you can skip all that and make a custom pledge of an amount that suits you. Or you can head over to co-fi.com forward slash why this film podcast and buy me a coffee with a one-off payment. We will be adding hot chocolate to that coffee and probably cream and marshmallows and sprinkles, but you don't need to worry about that. Thank you to all who donate and thanks to my patron David for supporting this episode on Patreon. Why This Film Podcast is my happy place. I love chatting to guests and revisiting long lost movies and I hope you do too.